The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, growing old comes with its difficulties, particularly when loved ones require additional needs. As well as the physical and medical issues, there are often some difficult conversations to be had with other family members about the best way to care for relatives who are dealing with the effects of old age. Now, we're going to talk about the best way to care for older people, and we're joined in studio by Jenny Brannigan, owner of Total Physio, Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist and co-host of the Tough Love podcast and Professor Ronan Collins, geriatrician and stroke physician and clinical lead at the Irish National Stroke Programme. Good morning and welcome to you all. Uh, Ronan is on the line, so we'll go to him first. Ronan, good morning. Good morning to you. Now, the conditions that are virtually unavoidable with old age, the physical conditions, what are they? Well, I suppose nothing is unavoidable apart from getting older in itself. And I suppose it's something to celebrate. Um, Our society is ageing, but that's the whole point of medicine, uh, to live longer. Uh, But we want to add, of course, we want to add years to that um, life. And we want to add life to that years as well, so that there's quality associated with it. So most modern, um, if you like, views of gerontology um, have a kind of a holistic view, what we call the biopsychosocial model of gerontology and ageing, and that includes addressing medical factors, societal factors, psychological factors. And really what you want to do is you want to live longer and you want to be healthy in later life and to compress uh, the final period of life when we are all die- going to die at some stage, obviously, you want to compress that period of ill health into as sh- short a time frame as possible mm. towards the end of your life, the so-called compression of morbidity. OK, now, uh, the, the mantra, if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, that is probably particularly so for people who are older. Yeah, well, it it varies from person to person, but I think a lot of, again, I'm a geriatrician, a lot of geriatricians are now into preventative uh, geriatric medicine or preventive gerontology. We realise that what we do in much younger adult life will largely dictate what happens to us in later life. And so if you want to live well and more healthily in later life uh, and be more function dependent and have more enjoyment, what you put in to and how you prevent things happening in later life uh, you know, it needs to start in your late 30s, 40s. And the question then of staying well, um, I mean, many of us will have experience of someone who has a fall, for example, goes into hospital and never comes home. Yeah, well, you mentioned, so I suppose most of us fear probably three main things as we get older. They all indep- they're all underpinned by loss of functional independence. I think most of us fear stroke. Uh, we fear dementia and we fear falls and hip fracture. And, of course, there are other medical conditions like cancer, etc., and heart attacks. But I think people, if you ask them about later life, they would generally focus on those three things because they may have seen them in an older adult themselves. For example, one in four of us are going to have a stroke. And so that's quite a high, um, if you like, chance. Um, the instance of dementia, for example, over the age of 90s is probably in the region of 15 to 20% which is also high. And of course, again, hip fractures are a very common uh, experience for many people as they get later life, and they often result in loss of kind of uh, independence and or actual death uh, because it's a very serious injury. So there are things you can do to reduce your instance of all those things. I mean, if I deal with brain health first, just very briefly, I think it's critically important to say to people, that there's a lot of talk about, for example, new drugs that may be arising and emerging for dementia treatment, and that is true. We have great optimism with treating uh, maybe early dementia, but there's a lot you can do 
to prevent yourself from getting dementia or even delaying the onset of dementia in the younger life. There's some risk factors that you can't modify. You can't modify your age. You can't modify whether you're male or female. But you can modify your blood pressure. You can modify your weight and your cholesterol. You can stop smoking. And then there's positive things that you can do. You can make sure that you exercise regularly because that is good for your brain health. Eating a good balanced diet um, is good for your brain health. Uh, continuous professional development and learning something new is good for your brain health. Social networking and building those social networks in younger life is very good for our um, brain health. And hearing. Hearing is an important, easily modifiable one. There's a very strong association between hearing loss as we get older and development of cognitive impairment. So there are things you can do, for example, and that's a simple example with regard to dementia. All right, and now we'll go to you, Jenny, because uh, when I think of what you do, Total Physio, you're thinking, well, the gym bunnies, they're in their trainers and their <laughs> leotards and all the rest of it. Um, oh, you don't think of older people necessarily in the gym lifting weights, but that is but maybe something that should be doing. We should, absolutely. And just picking up on what Ronan said there, we do start to lose our lean muscle mass from the time we're in our late 30s. And nobody thinks about that at that stage in their life. They're only thinking about that maybe as they get older themselves or in relation to an older parent. So if you're losing approximately 3 to 8% of your lean muscle mass with each decade that passes, and even more than that, once you go over the age of 60, the earlier you start exercising to actually develop your muscle bulk, you can counter some of those effects. And Ronan mentioned quality of life. That's the most important thing. There's no point in living a long life if you're not able to enjoy it and do the things that you want to be able to do. So that quality of life is vital. And muscle mass correlates with longevity. Larger muscles improve our chances of living longer, but it also allows us then to lift our grandchildren, go on that trip we've always wanted to do, be able to cycle to the shop and get our paper every day. It's about enjoying it and being able to enjoy it nicely and easily. So that now our Many people moves. did loads of things and then COVID came along. Well, absolutely. COVID was a terrible blip, certainly. And that definitely reduced a lot of people's confidence, but also... It, re- it changed how we look at older people and we need to make sure that we're empowering older people in our lives to make sure that we're allowing them to get out there and exercise. We need to be careful about being too kind and getting people shopping for them, uh, you know, doing the tasks for them that actually they should be doing themselves to maintain their independence, to maintain their mobility, to give that purpose so that you have to go out every day to buy the paper and the milk rather than somebody dropping it into you. Um, one of the texts is coming in. My mother has done a short stint in a hospital. She's only 70, but they have approved a home care package to help her at home. She's really resisting it. Um, that, that's a, an interesting question. Stephanie, you know, someone who does not mm-hmm. want to accept that they may need help and or maybe the help is inappropriate that she could manage quite well on her own. Thank you very much. Yes. And interesting what Jenny says, you don't want to over care. You don't want to over support because if you do, people end up really being weakened by it. So I think um, I think there's a, a balance there. But also for, I come from the point of view, I suppose, of the family and the kind of uh, complexities that that happen there when, when a parent becomes ill or needs more care. And one of the things that I would see is exactly that is the resistance to care, the resistance to outside help. Difficult then for children, adult children, obviously, to work through these issues with with parents to become the parent, if you like, in the piece. 
And then you have all the issues of siblings not agreeing, um, mm. one person dominating. I'll so read your comment here. I am single. I am single. Yes. I have no children, mm-hmm. but have a busy life and a big job. My three siblings, two sisters and my brother have kids and they really do nothing for my two parents who are OK, but do need extra help. They seem to feel that I must do all the helping. It's very unfair and it'll only get worse. How can I address this successfully, having failed to bring it up successfully before? Yeah, and I think that's a very common theme, if you like, you know, that I would find in my practice is single people who are left with it all. And indeed, not always just single person, but one person. The fact is, the care of parents is primarily, first of all, it's up to themselves to maintain a healthy life and do all the right things. Then if it comes to needing help, it is a family issue. Everybody must lean in. And definitely people have difficulties leaning in at different points. You know, often parents become ill when you've young children, when you're at a very, you know, busy time in your own life. But that isn't an excuse for not doing anything and leaving it to others. The way I would certainly encourage people to approach it and that girl or guy who is single, I would say call a meeting, establish a WhatsApp group, try and share the information. But just remember, everybody isn't coming from the very same place. People come with a different competence, different personality style and a different experience of it. Also a different experience of the parent. If there's been a complicated relationship with parents and everybody in a family has a different relationship with a parent. If that if that um, relationship is complicated, there can be a lot of resentment about helping and they can be more resistant. I'm not saying that's the reason in this case, but it can be the reason. Yeah. Another one. My uh, 86-year-old father has uh, suffered a stroke, has been isolated from his family by an aggressive mother and a minimum manipulative sister (laughs) being both financially and emotionally controlled not even allowed his phone Uh, we were let down by safeguarding Ireland completely how can we as a family future proof my father's life and by the way we are doing an item on safeguarding tomorrow Mm -hmm. internal family dynamics can be so difficult and it's absolutely brought to the front when something like this happens you know when somebody needs more care when somebody gets dementia when the issue of power of attorney comes up when the issue of what people want it's a, it's a matter of power in the family. And obviously, the bigger the family, the more complex it is. But there are ways to deal with it. And I think, you know, um, we, we're listening there to Dr. Ronan Collins talking about it. And I think that the geriatrician in place or the doctor in place can be very, very useful in that regard in saying to families, you must sit down and discuss ABC. This is what you need to deal with. And from a, from a caring point of view and a little direction from the outside can be very helpful to the person who's on the inside and who sees what needs to be done. And, and that's the whole of uh, life approach that the gerontologists will now bring to the frame, according to Ronan. Ronan, uh, just a detail here. This texter said, I recently read a study that said 20% of people over 60 who break a hip are dead within six months. Is that true? Yes, there's a high mortality associated with hip fracture. We are making good progress on it, though. We have a national hip fracture um, database and a program for health with hip fracture, uh, certainly ensuring that people are operated quickly on and are get into a proper bed and that they've got good medical governance. Very often the surgeon is the man to fix the bone, but it's the medical problems after hip uh, that caused the difficulty. So, yeah, the mortality after hip fracture can indeed be quite high, but we are making progress with it. I, I would like to comment just a little bit about the family dynamics. It's true that there is no one size fits all. There's tremendous heterogeneity when it comes to dealing with these problems within families. And, of course, everybody sees it from where, they're stand, where they stand, and everybody's got a unique perspective, children and parents. But there's a couple of key principles 
that we need to, I think, double down on with society. And that relates really to the rights of older people. And that older people have a right to be maintained at home wherever possible. And that's a societal responsibility. It's not just a family responsibility. It's true that most discharges home where people need help will not succeed without some family support for that. But it is also true to say that we as a society must be empowering people because many older people, for example, have no family. Yeah. And so we need to be empowering that as an absolute yeah. right. Now, now, Ronan, just w- briefly about advocacy yeah. and uh, safeguarding. I know people have had mixed experiences, but it is important to alert for those cases of elder abuse. But also sage advocacy, a very useful resource for older people as well to make sure that the person's voice is heard in the debate. Um, we were talking many times over the years on this programme about uh, money following the patient and the idea that a hospital has a budget and then there's a separate budget for maybe the provision of home care. And, you know, it may, might be a lot cheaper to help someone at home than keep them in an acute hospital. Well, that's true. And I think one of the problems we have, and I think one of the problems we have with hospital occupancy, it's not the only problem we have, but it's one of the problems is that there's a disconnect, in my view, between the patient's journey from hospital to home. So, for example, in the UK, the community services in the UK, the social services, would have a time frame to respond to the needs assessment and providing that home care package or where it's needed, unfortunately, residential care to an older person within a timely frame. And if that's not met, the social services lose some of their budget to the acute hospitals. Without that mechanism being in place, there really is no onus on the social services to kind of respond in a timely fashion. And it has been my experience that there's been a bit of a lag. Now, I know they will have their viewpoint on that as well. But in reality, the main point of this is that older people, once they're finished their acute hospital uh, treatment and have had the appropriate, by the way, rehabilitation and reablement, really should be at home as soon as possible. Number one, so they build on the rehabilitation that they've had, but also because most of our hospitals, and this is something I passionately believe in, Pat, most of our hospitals are a national disgrace when it comes to actual design and actually facilitating the recovery of older people. And there seems to be a narrative emanating at the moment, doubled down a little bit yesterday by the department secretary, saying that we cannot continue to treat older people in hospitals as we're currently going. It is true to say that we do need to have more preventative gerontology, but if hospitals do not exist for older people who are the most likely to get cancer, most likely to get heart Mm -hmm. disease, stroke and other serious injuries like hip fracture, then who do they exist for? All right, Ronan, um, I want to leave it there now, but I have a couple of things for Jenny before we conclude. Um, My wife and I, 55, 57, she's older. We started doing resistance training last year weekly with the trainer, both down considerably in weight, but more importantly, much more flexible and agile. We were both overweight. I was obese, but now I'm getting there. Would highly recommend this. Another one, I'm 67 in a senior strength and mobile gym three days a week, and I'm the youngest. It's called Fitbug Social at Junction 6 in Blanchardstown. And Jenny, that question of how soon people should start and what kind of training they can do. 
they can start immediately. The most important thing is to think about what your current levels of strength and fitness are and be realistic about where you are now and then what you need to do to get to where you need to go. It needs to be a gradual process. If you're not used to exercising, it will need to be a slower process because the key is to avoid injury as you build up your tolerance and your body takes time to build up that capacity. So I'm delighted to hear those excellent comments. That's exactly the message we want to put out there. Not just me saying it, but there are people who've actually lived it and they're recommending it. The key is to start today and to get stronger and to you, you will certainly move much more easily and you'll be able to do all those things you want to be able to do. The quality of life piece, the stronger your muscles are, it keeps you independent your balance will improve and you'll be able to live the life that you want to live. And a final one for Stephanie. I never thought I'd feel so let down by my family as I've had these last few years. As our mother's Alzheimer's has progressed, I still consider us close and I've stopped myself from being totally honest with them about their lack of involvement as I don't want to rift. It's a hard road, especially when you're the sibling without children. So you're it for everything. It's really, you know, it's so prevalent this issue of uh, you know families breaking up and families not talking after um, caring for for an elderly person it's just incredibly difficult and I think that we have to you know take that head on if you like for for people and be, be straight about it it's everybody's business to look after and I think that the point that it's also society's business to look after older people all of us we're all in moving into the older age group um, empower people to stay at home and and help those who are helping those people to stay at home. We have to support them in every way. Thank you very much to uh, Stephanie Regan, to Jenny Brannigan and to Professor Ronan Collins. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.